And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Ah! Three are United States Astro Robots. They come a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from Class to Colts on the cheese in between. The movie's your babe. Darren Heyman is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Jacknetti. And this time out, I'm joined by my brother, Mr. Luke Jacknetti. Hey, Jay. How's it going? We got something really special today because we are introducing the fourth B. And that fourth B stands for Blade as we are going back to 1987 to take a look at Masters of the Universe. And we'll do it. We'll get to it right after this. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I want them to down and brought to me! Across the face. Police! Nobody move! Of Earth. I think I'm gonna need some backup. Can you show us the way? Of course. No! distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. Universe was released August 7th, 1987, with a 106-minute running time. Uh, you have a budget of uh, about $22 million, but it grossed about $17.3 million, and 
let me tell you, they were not happy that it only grows $17.3 million. Um, your director here is Gary Goodard. Um, now, Gary Goodard um, was the co-founder of Landmark Entertainment Group. Um, he left them later on. That is all after kind of thing. He, he had been part of that. He had done um, – he worked some in television. He had been stuff in, uh, um, you know, by way of doing what they – he developed a thing called – Broadway 4D, it was a, like an American musical film. It was kind of – a lot of things didn't work out with that kind of stuff. Um, and then he later got himself in some trouble um, you know, with the law down the road. But we don't need to talk about that. Your movie the, is written by David the, O'Dell. I, I will say one oh, real quick thing about Gary Goddard. What most people know him from, they don't even realize. Because mm-hmm. the stuff that he worked on after Masters of the Universe. Yeah. So Terminator 2 3D. Yes. And the amazing adventures of Spider-Man. So if you've ever been to the Universal, especially yes. Universal Studios Orlando and Islands of Adventure, that those are the things that he worked on. Again, not, making no comments about his personal life, all the other issues that have come up. But professionally, that's what most people would know him from beyond Masters of the Universe. Yeah. And uh, your your writer here, um, or your story credit goes to Dave O'Dell. Um, she's a screenwriter and he uh, actually he's. Um, he worked on the Muppet show, uh, obviously. And then the Muppet movie, he was uncredited with work on the Muppet movie. Um, people know him from like the dark crystal in 82. Um, he probably wants people to forget that he was involved with Supergirl in 84. Um, but he also then went on to like do episodes from tales from the crypt and, uh, um, uh, monsters and then Martians go home. He actually wound up directing, um, obviously master universe is based on the Mattel property, masters of the universe and he man and the master of the universe. Uh, He-Man this is 87. So Master Universe, they, it ran when? I'm trying to remember. the um, Master of the Universe, the original toy line, started in, I want to say, 1982. Yeah. And by 87, we were starting to get to the tail end of the, of the line, uh, which, is, which is interesting. And this is when they finally got around to doing it. Yeah. I want to say there were actually figures released in 1988. Uh, he, uh, generally not, not counting the, the later, um, uh, relaunches and such, but I want to say that those were basically the last figures, uh, that the, the last line that anything, cause the, the ones in 88, I want to say were the two laser figures, yes, yeah. which were very, very fairly limited. Whereas 87, 87 was supposed to be a big reboot year for masters of the universe. Uh, the line was going to shift to be called the powers of Grayskull. Yes. And it was going to be taking place in pre-Turnia, which is prehistoric Eternia. And in addition to He-Man and his crew, we were going to meet Hero, who was uh, an ancestor of He-Man, who was the most powerful sorcerer in the world, and his mentor, Eldor. And they were going to be battling against the ancient form of King Hiss and the Snake Men uh, with, with uh, giant dinosaurs and other prehistoric elements. A little bit of this line started in 87, never came to fruition, and the line ended um, pretty much shortly after that. Yeah, and of course, we still had She-Ra Power, uh, the Princess of Power. That was 85 to 87. That's when those toys came out. There yep. is a He-Man line that did go from 80, in 89 to 92. That's the one where his he kind of like he's weird. He has a his motion goes across like, like diagonally across his chest. One of um, yeah, one of them does. That's generally called the the New Adventures is okay. what that's referred to because that's the name of that TV series. Mm-hmm. And that actually started out its existence as an idea of that being a, a second version of Hero who was going to be the son of He-Man and I'm guessing Tila 
and they were going to be the king and queen of Grayskull, and this was going to be their son chasing Skeletor through space. It became a new kind of science fiction yep. heavy version of Masters of the of, of Masters of the Universe. And and that He Man became of course, part of my fig fed. That's why so. that he did that he did. And then in 2002, yep. what's generally referred to as the 2000X version, the um, um, what is it, uh, Mike Young Entertainment mm-hmm. cartoon, and the the Four Horsemen design toy line. Yep. And the th- the thing that's great about Masters of the Universe in general, and I'll, and this, I swear, this is not just me riffing on toys and stuff from when I was a kid, but this actually does tie into what we're going to talk about with the movie. The great thing about about Masters of the Universe is that it literally was a mashup from day one. You know, in that that first year of figures, you had. You know, a lot of barbarian type figures. You had He-Man, Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, Beast-Man, okay? But you also had the Battle Ram, which the front part was meant to be a jet sled that flew around. You had the Wind Raider, which could fly. And then you had Zodak, who came with a ray gun and was the cosmic enforcer. Yeah. So you already had the mashup of science fiction and fantasy. And that only continued. We talked about this when we talked about your Hunter from the Future. Yeah. Is that the idea of mixing sword and sorcery, barbarian loincloth, in a furry underwear crowd, with Flash Gordon style science fiction? That's what made this line great. Anything went in this line. Mm-hmm. Anything went mm-hmm. in this. So it's like when you get a few years down the road, it's like, oh yeah, we've got a humanoid uh, uh, honeybee. Sure. Yeah. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? It's yeah. like he's a good guy. I'm yeah. down with it. We got a humanoid crab. He's a bad guy though. Okay. Yeah, you know, we, we have a guy yeah. with a giant metal hand, and he fights a gi- guy with a giant uh, gold hand. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like it's totally okay. This this you know, let's make a toy that actually smells horrible. We'll make Stinkor. You know. Oh my God! You know what's great about Stinkor? He still smells. That he still smells. Yeah. Ours, we ha- I have. I think Stinkor was one of my guys. He was. Uh, so I have my Stinkor from childhood upstairs right now. He still stinks. Yes. No other figure. Has ever except Moss Man, no oh other God. figure from that from that era still smells. Yeah, Moss and, Man and the way that too. Mattel did that is brilliant because normally when they apply a scent onto a scented figure, it's applied like a like it's sprayed on. Yeah, they in Stinkor's case, they actually mixed patchouli oil into the plastic. Yeah, so it's never going away. Right until the, <laughs> until the plastic's gone, which will never happen. You know, kind yeah. of thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean. To say that He-Man, the Master Universe, like the whole, those line of toys was important. It was, we played with He-Mans before we had G.I. Joe's. Okay. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And tell me like, how could that happen? Because Luke and I are not the, the, the doll G.I. Joe's. We are the action figure G.I. Joe's. Yes. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, I'll say this slowly. Go to Netflix and watch the documentary about G, the G.I. Joe's and then watch the one about Masters of the Universe. Yes. Then you'll understand what we're talking about. Um, and I, and I, you know, and the great thing for me, now I, I know you're, you're a couple years older than me, so you have a slightly different perspective, but when the th- reason why Masters of the Universe holds such a, a, a special place for me is that like, that's really the first thing, one of the very first things I remember actually playing with yeah. was Masters of the Universe. Like right now, my kids are playing with all my adventure people. Mm-hmm. Oh, our, I should our adventure people stuff, the Alpha Probe and the Alpha Star and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of our tough trucks and all that. Yeah, yeah, Husky, yeah. Husky, not Husky Harris. That's uh, that's the fiend. Um, <laughs> Husky Hank, I think is his name, was right. that that line of, from Fisher Price. So I remember those. But I remember having Buzz Off 
mm-hmm. and Triclops and Trapjaw, and those were my guys because you were using He-Man and Skeletor and Beastman or whomever. And and I remember and those so it's always in my brain. And I remember Dad renting the tapes and watching the cartoon even oh, yeah. before like we were able to get it over the air. No, we you know it was we we we, yeah, we did do that, but we used to watch it in the afternoon. It was syndicated. Yes. Remember watching it in the afternoon, we watched it and then dad would rent the tapes. He's like, all right, we're good. Cause the tapes would have like five episodes on it. Like instead of just watching one, whatever. But I mean, we played a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I was in nursery school. So four years old, I had a He-Man. That's how Matt LaPere and I became friends. Yeah. I had a He-Man. Yeah. He had a He-Man. I'm like, you like He-Man? I like He-Man. You like He-Man? Me too. You know, kind of thing. Like <laughs> I literally, I wish I was joking. Our, our friendship was because we're like He-Man. Nothing else. It was just that, and that, I mean, yeah. that's how we started out being friends and having Castle Grayskull and you know all the stuff and you know thinking like you know, I mean again and once I watched start watching movies like once I saw Swamp Thing I'm like oh man Beast Man is like this creature and like that was what it was it wasn't just Star yeah. I had Star Wars figures I mean I had tons of Star Wars I mean we had Star Wars before I had GI Joe but that's what it was and He Man yeah. was one of the things that we could play together because it wasn't too small when you were little, you yes. know, kind of thing. You could handle them. They were big enough. They, uh, um, you know, it wasn't little guns and little knives that we'd have to go find, um, you know, kind of thing. Even if I swear to God, Hawk's knife is still behind the heater downstairs in the basement. Um, the kind of thing. <laughs> Hawk's never Falcon's knife. Falcon's knife, not Hawk's, excuse yeah. me, Falcon's knife. It fell out of his backpack. Um, you know, kind of thing. Uh, that's the, but that, that's one of the things we had. And, and Master Universe, by the time this movie came out, it's 87. You're seven. I'm nine. Yeah. We kind of saw. We kind of look at this and say, "Oh, really? Like, okay." Well, you know, you, know, you say that, but we still saw it in the theater. No, no, no. I'm saying is, <laughs> we were looking at it like this seems a little late. Yeah. We knew that. Looking at the movie as as seven and nine year olds, like this might be a little late in the game, yeah. because by this time, on TV there was Thundercats, there was. Um, I think what that means. GI well, Joe had, was in full G. swing. GI Joe was still going. You had Transformers. You yep. had um, 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 uh, Mask was yes, on at yeah. this point. Uh, but even even things like you had the um, I'm blanking now on some of the other ones. But there was a lot of there was a lot more competition now. Yeah, yeah. For and and not just and and that's just on TV. That's not even counting in the toy aisle. Yeah, where you had um, by '87, you still had you had Supernaturals, you had Visionaries, you had uh, rock lords, you know, you started getting into other lines that that were competing, and that's not even counting the traditional lines that were now gaining steam. You know, people don't think about this, and and of uh, you mentioned the toys that made us. The the this is the one that's always stood out to me. Why have we not had toys that made us on Hot Wheels yet? But no. Hot Wheels in the '80s got huge again. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that was the money that Mattel was getting from other lines. They could put more money back into Hot Wheels, Barbie as well. But that that's a that's yes. a horse of a different yeah, color. Yeah. But you know, so it's like that. That became Masters of the Universe was on the kind of the cutting edge of the the way, you know, a lot of and I and I I swear I'm, I'm this is going to sound like I'm being petulant, and I swear it's not. A lot of guys, maybe eight to ten years older than us, the guys that grew up as kids with Star Wars, the original Star Wars, right? Yeah. Um, that some may on the maybe on this very network, they don't get a lot of these '80s properties, and why guys our age love Masters of the Universe, 
Transformers, G.I. Joe, why those mean as much to us. And it's like, because you're a little too old. Yep. And the kids that grew up in the 90s that might have loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. or Biker Mice from Mars, they're a little too young. So it falls into that niche of what you, you know, it falls into that sweet spot of when you were a little kid. You know, so it's it there's you're right. It, you're the the writing was on the wall for Masters of the Universe, but there still was a, so, was a lot of goodwill still out there. Um, one of my one of my favorite. Uh, it's an anachronism, really, in Ghostbusters 2, which came out in 1989. Right. When they're working the kids party, who do the kids cheer that they want? Yeah. He-Man. It's He-Man. like, well, in 89? He-Man. Really? Yeah. Like, well, of course, this was written a few years earlier. Yeah. Ghostbusters. That's, that's the one I wasn't thinking. The real Ghostbusters. The real, oh, right. Well, you know, not just the real Ghostbusters. You had Ghostbusters the, and the real Ghostbusters. Yes. You had the, the original, the Filmation Ghostbusters, yes. ironically enough. Yeah. So, but. <laughs> Who was that? Was that uh, Ben Byrne uh, wearing the, the ape suit in the live action original Ghostbusters? I think it was. I think it was Bob, yeah. Bob Burns. Bob Burns. Bob that's Burns. It. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So, even now, we've been talking to a whole bunch of folks about toys and stuff. And this is one of the reasons why. Um, this episode is, you know, um, why we did this movie. And you're thinking like, well, this shouldn't this be the movie that we you end the year with? Like, shouldn't this be like your Hunter from the Future? And <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you, right? When I when we watched your Hunter of the Future, I first thought like, wow, this kind of looks like He Man, right? Yeah. I mean, you got the same thing, right? Yes, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm like, this kind of looks like He Man, but it kind of looks like He Man done on like a dollar eighty seven budget, right? <laughs> It's and kind of like the mini comic version of He Man. Yes. If you read the, like, the original yes. mini comic where he's a barbarian yes. and Tila's the goddess and stuff, it's kind of like somebody bought a He Man and got the comics. Like we should make this into a movie, yeah. right? But we only have half the story. Quick, get another thing, and then and then someone got a Star Star Wars comic book. Hey, let's make this movie too. You know, kind of thing. So, but then let, let's go to Turkey though and make it. Let's take all these people who don't speak a lick of English, yeah. let alone anything that could speak in Turkey. <laughs> Let's just go to a place where no one speaks their language, and Red Brown is like, "Hello, hello." I love, and, and I don't mean to be mean to Red Brown. I am friends with this man on Facebook. He he is great in that movie because he takes it seriously, folks. Where he's jumping off. If you have never seen your The Hunter from the Future, spend the seven dollars, go buy it on Blu-ray. It's phenomenal. Don't watch some beat up old VHS because I saw the trailer for it. Where you're still like, God, how can you watch this? And I showed Dad that the, the, the um, Shout Factory. You know, trailer on YouTube. He goes, "That's a lot clearer than what we just saw." <laughs> it's like I know, Dad. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and I actually had Dad watch your the hundred fifty. He goes, "That wasn't that bad, Jay." He was making it sound like horrible. I go, "Dad, did you see how cheesy things?" He goes, "Yeah, it looks cheesy, but he goes, but it wasn't a bad story." Yeah, yeah, well, I said, you know, again, but we, the curve's the all halfway in the middle. He goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, "It's two different movies sewn together." I'm like, "Exactly." So, it's like you always say, "It ain't boring." You know? <laughs> oh no, it was never. It was not boring. See, that's the one that people. People always say, well, maybe Dad and I are a little hard on certain movies, Cleopatra, um, yeah. for good reason. Um, but the thing is, or 2001 Space Odyssey, because the one thing I can say about some of the, some movies is that, like, if you're supposed to be this amazing film and it's all this hype and everything and then you're boring, like, that's the worst thing you can be. Like, if you're going to be horrible, at least be horrible in a great, like, like okay, well, I was entertaining. I don't know what was going on. You could see the, the zipper the whole time. Someone walked through eating a sandwich, whatever that might be. Just don't be boring yep. because that's the worst thing. If you're going to waste 90 minutes of time on a boring movie or 90 minutes of time on a really bad movie. like So if you make a movie really well and it's technically a beautifully shot and made movie, 
I'm thinking of a movie called Hereditary, which is two hours of my life I'll never get back. And if you haven't heard that, go listen to The Vault. You want to hear four people rip something apart really hard, like really hard? That's yeah. that. That movie shot very nicely. It's all professional. They have professional actors and whatever, and it's garbage, right? Then you can go watch, uh, what did we watch today? Zombie Tidal Wave. We watched that during quarantine. And you're saying, Jay, that sounds horrible. Oh, it is. Um, but you know what it is? <laughs> Not boring. At no boring. point am I bored of Ian Ziering and his ability to act the heck out of things, right? <laughs> yes, the man from Sharknado and Sharknado 2 and Sharknado 3 and Sharknado the fourth be with you and Sharknado 5, Global Warning, right? Um, those are all movies and I own them all. Yeah. Uh, those movies aren't boring. And you may think like, well, the special effects are cheesy and this is dumb, and whatever, but it ain't boring. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So anyway, I, I, I mean, ultimately, it falls back to Maximus, right? Yeah. You know? Are you Are not you entertained? Not entertained? <laughs> Are you not entertained? You know, that's what it all boils yeah. down to. Which is which is really funny, because to be honest with you, a lot of people thought Gladiator was going to be just uh, like, oh, like, well, that movie that looks like it should be really exciting. It's not going to be great. And then people forgot to look at who directed it. And you're like, oh, yeah. Ridley Scott. Yeah, it's going to be a really good movie. So if it's entertaining and a really good movie, this thing's going to be amazing. And they were like, yeah, I don't uh, I don't I don't I don't mean to sideline it. But I remember when we all went to see that. And I say we all because it was all of us went to go see Gladiator. And, you know, when you, you know, sometimes you're, you're sitting in the theater watching a the movie on spool hmm. and you're like, you know, it's like, crap, I'm this, this is the first time I'm seeing this movie. That's going to be an all time classic. You know, well, in all fairness, I saw it with you after I already saw it because I, you, you well, no, but I'm saying, but I, right. I mean, I remember my experience with yeah. that. Like I knew you had talked it up, but you didn't give yeah. me any info. Yeah, know. I went opening day. Uh, Sutter and I went together. That was uh, he. He didn't want to go see Monsters, Inc. with me. I said, you missed a good one, man. Right. And we went and saw Gladiator. And at the end of the movie, I'm like, we're, we're both crying our eyes. out. was the movie <laughs> so heartbreaking. But I'm like, that yeah. was the most, the most amazing film I've ever seen. Because as a kid, like, I saw Jaws at home, and I saw, like, I mean, great movies, right, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which Dad and I covered back in July. I mean, I saw that at home. I mean, I saw this in the theater. This is new. No one had seen this movie. No one could have ruined this. And I yeah. actually started reading the book before the movie, and I didn't finish the book. I was, like, I was like a couple chapters in, and I, and I saw the movie, and I went home. I had to finish the book. I went home. I went back to, you know, college. I had to finish it. Yeah. But anyway, so let's talk about Master Universe, because we're, like, 30 minutes in. Uh, kind of thing, and we haven't talked about anything about toys. But and, and to be honest, toys are really important. And without toys, there is no movie. Yes, you know. Um, on, so on on the on the on the Transformers Wiki, which is tfwiki.net, there is an article called "To Sell Toys." Yes, and a lot of times that's linked. It's like, well, why was this change made to sell toys? Yes, and this is one of the things that you have to understand. He-Man and the Master Universe, or just you know, just Master. Yeah, He-Man and the Master Universe. The TV show came after the toys. Yes. Yeah. That's hard for people to kind of think about because now a TV show is thought up and then toys are made. And unlike Transformers, which were called what in Japan? I don't remember, Luke. Well, so Transform. Well, okay. So Transform started out as, yeah, yeah, as Diaclone and Microman and then Hasbro imported both of them and mashed them together. Okay. Those existed in Japan before there was ever Transformers the series, but they weren't unique American-made toys. They were yes. import toys. Well, so, yeah, I mean, you had you had Convoy and Fair Lady Robo and other, you know, toys, but you didn't have Optimus Prime and, uh, you know, Prowl and Jazz and Bumblebee. Yes, right, but, the, but they became, they, they, they changed them here, but they were a toy line that existed in Japan yes. that was brought over and changed. 
He-Man did not exist in Europe somewhere and was brought here. It was, hey, let's make this. And again, the, the documentary, I know some people talk bad about the toys that made us and they don't go deep enough into it. Like, like a wrestling episode could ever be, like, it's an hour long wrestling episode. Yeah, there's no way. There's Good no way Lord. to do it. The Hasbro line itself took, uh, took uh, Riders and Hawkins, what, four hours to talk about? Right. You know, I mean, come on. There's no way you can cover it in an hour. Like, certain things just give, it gives you the idea of how it happened. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of thing. So, but this is one of the things, and this is why these movies stick with us. And like, not even, even if this movie's not nearly what it could have been, let's say in 1985, right. I think it would have kind of got more of re, a better reaction because it was in the midst of the toy line and the midst of the show, but it wasn't, this movie wasn't ready to be made in 85, you know, kind of yeah. thing. They had to get whatever. So, all right. So our story opens on the planet of Eternia. At the center of the universe, Skeletor's army sees Castle Grayskull scattering the remains of the Eternian defenders and capture the sorceress of Grayskull, planning to add her power to his own by the next moonrise. Okay, so uh, real quick here, let's talk about the people in this movie. So we have Skeletor, Frank Langella. Yes, the guy who played Dracula on Broadway, Frank Langella, that guy looking not like Frank Langella. It's funny, once you Fra know it's Frank Langella, it looks oh, yeah. a lot like him. That, I mean, that he is he is a gift from the attorney in God. Yes. <laughs> he is so incredible as Skeletor. Yes. The story always goes that when he was offered the role, he took it in a second, in a heartbeat, because he, he had a young son who was a big Masters of the Universe fan who loved Skeletor. Mm -hmm. And he looks, you know what they say? Oh, he looks like he's having a time of his life up there. Yeah. Frank Langella looks to be absolutely having a ball playing Skeletor. Yes, yes. And his Skeletor is brilliant. Yes. You know, the thing the thing is that Skeletor was always a more interesting character than Prince Adam or He-Man. Yes, of course. Because as the villain, he was allowed to be flamboyant and over the top. <laughs> you insufferable boob! You know? <laughs> so, you know, simpering fool! I'm surrounded by fools! You know, but... Uh, so, but Langella leans into that kind of campy... The best way I've ever heard Skeletor described was comedy opera villain. And that's what he leans into. And he's glorious. <laughs> I'm not even saying that ironically. No. I really mean that. Yeah. It's funny. So, uh, and, and the thing is, some of the people, but okay, some of the bad mouthing about this movie is like, well, Skeletor's face is not the right color. This, okay. I get it. The toy makes it look like there's a skull floating inside a hood. You can't do that here where it's clearly like it looks exactly like it should in live action. You have to just yes. buy it. Right. That's like remember remember when Transformers came out, not not Transformers, the movie, but the, the new Transformers kind of stuff. Yes. Everyone's like, It doesn't look like the old Transformers. Right. It looks like these Transformers. Like you just got to yes. buy it. You know, well, the thing the thing about that is like, of course, the joke is we we all love these giant fantasy robots that change form. Right. But we want them to stay the same. You yes. Know, that, that's but uh, and, and the thing is, is that the, this this movie, you're right, gets dumped on a lot because of the things it changes. Yes. But we're willing to accept alternate universes for everything else that we watch except E-Man. Apparently, yeah. if it's not exactly like the show or exactly like the comic or exactly whatever version of it we have in our head, it's crap. Yeah. And which is part of the problem, you know, kind of thing. That's I mean, some people are like, well, it's not this. It's not this. And it's like, OK, so uh, our sorceress is played by Christina Pickles. Um, that's her actual name. Uh, uh, you know, kind of Christina thing. Pickles, best known, probably, I'd say, for playing Ross and uh, Monica's mom on Friends. 
And we'll see why that's ironic in a little bit. Oh, because I was going to say she also is uh, she's uh, nurse Helen uh, Rosenthal from St. Elsewhere, which is where she, she is from St. Elsewhere. Yeah, yeah but she I received most five, she received five nominations for primetime Emmys. Just saying, you know, kind of thing. Well, but, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah, if you want to throw, you know, pre- prestigious awards around. <laughs> And I'm just speaking, saying, most people our age know her as Mrs. Yes. You know, Mrs. Geller from yes. <laughs> And uh, if if you're you know worried about prestigious awards, Dolph Lundgren is going to be He-Man in this one. If you haven't figured yep. out who the blonde big guy's going to be, no, not Rep Brown this time. So, and we'll get to uh, some other people as we go. Yeah, but uh, I do want to say right at the beginning. So this movie opens up right away. I yes. mean, we get the Superman the movie style credits, yes. and then we're Skeletor right at the beginning. They're not, you know, they're they're they know the audience is primarily kids and they want to see Skeletor and He-Man. They put him right out there. They are there is there is no beating around the bush. And I do want to say this too. So the, you know, Skeletor in in all basically in both the the, the mini comics and in the show he had his warriors, right? He had Beastman and Merman and Trapjaw mm-hmm. and Triclops. His, my warriors, as he says in Diamond Ray of Disappearance. But on uh, here, he has like foot soldiers, yes. right? Yes. And so to me, my brain says, oh, they're like the Horde troopers over on Princess of Power, where Hordak had, yes, yes he had his Horde elite, but then he had an army of Horde troopers. And it's like, that's kind of like what Skeletor has here. And that's perfect for a movie. Well, you I was perfect th- to have the big faceless goons yeah. in the armor. I always thought of it more like uh, Cobra Commander and like yes. had Destro and Major Blood, but he also had like you know the Cobra, you know all his, uh, yeah, his the, troopers, yeah, all the yeah. all the Cobra troopers and yeah. Vipers. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean you you need those army builders. Masters of the Universe did have an army builder. There was a Horde trooper figure. Yes, but yeah. that that just didn't fit the type of story they were telling on Eternia. That made more sense on Etheria. With, yes. Where it was like a Star Wars riff with the evil empire yes. and small band of rebels. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, uh, and for those of you who are like, well, I never watched uh, She-Ra. Luke and I actually did watch a lot of She-Ra, and people are like, oh, you're watching a girl show. It's like we watched He-Man. It's the other half of the show, basically. You yeah, needed you know, to know. When, yeah. When, when 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 things crossed over, you had to know why things were crossing over. And let's be honest, Hordak and all them. Those toys were Master Universe toys. Exactly. That that's what I was gonna say. When so, the new when the Netflix Princesses of Power, I think it's actually called She-Ra Prince Princesses of Power. Okay. The Netflix She-Ra show it, so. started coming out. I, I've seen bits and pieces. I I personally prefer the old one, but I'm 40. I should prefer the old one, right? This one's not aimed at me. Yeah. This one's aimed at, at at people my kids' age. So that that's okay. That that's not a that's not a knock. That that's that's fine. But I remember at the time People pushing back and saying, well, that show, you were, as a boy, you were never supposed to be watching that show anyway. And I said 50% of the characters were from the Masters toy line. Yep. They were sold in the boys' toy aisle back yep. when we had those things. It's like, I mean, yeah, I get it that, okay, She-Ra and um, Spin, uh, I'm blanking, uh, what, Flutter, Flutterina mm-hmm. and Natasa and all the girls. And then on the side was Catra and Scorpina and Claudine, the, the big pink cat. Yep. Those were Princess of Power, and so was Bo. But you know, we besides Hordak and Leech and Antenna and Grizzlor, we also had you know Stonedar and Rockon and Snoutspout that were all Masters figures. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, it's like the, the the idea was not to make a girl show; it was to make a show that girls might want to watch, also that boys could watch. It was all part of Mattel's thing of let's make as much money as possible. Yeah. Again, re- relating back to that documentary, that was part of that was the, the, the girls toys department at Mattel wanting some of that master's money. 
Yep. You know, by getting by mer- by um, uh, merging the idea of the five and a half inch scale barbarian figure with fashion play because the She-Ra Princess of Power dolls could change fashions. Right. Now, you know what never what never made what I never thought of until I was older, but you could do that on He-Man, too. Yep. You know, you could take Zodak's armor and put it on He-Man or whatever. It's like they all interchange. It's like we never did that because. You know, they had the characters were supposed to like, you know, characters had permanence on, on, on that type of storytelling. But it's like, holy crap, it does have fashion play in it, doesn't yeah. it? I never even made that connection. Well, and and here, here's the big thing is because He-Man was not 12 inch tall dolls like like Barbies or the G.I. Joes that came before it were or like they're 12 inch. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Those because they're, yeah, they're one what they're one for one, one, one six scale. Um, yes. The problem is those G.I. Joes. There were there were you know girls playing with their brothers you know old GI Joes when with their Barbies you know kind of thing uh, I mean yeah. let's be honest I mean you know as well as I do we go to Kimmy Brewer's house there was a whole lot you know mom would go to work because we would stay with them you know there was a lot of Barbies played with well what did Byron had he had a lot of old GI Joes that were his dad's and whatever yeah. and we would have GI Joe playing with Barbies because again it wasn't like oh you're playing with girls like we're Kim's a girl. Like, we're playing with a yeah. girl, like, you know, kind of thing. We're playing with G.I. Joe's. And, like, it wasn't – the, the stories weren't all – but even she didn't want to play, like, let's have them play house. It was like we were fighting things. And it was all, like, whatever. It didn't matter. So yeah. that's, that's the problem. Some people want to put things in such nice, neat little categories. Is it boys? Is it for girls? And now everyone's like, oh, you can't have categories. Like, you know, I don't think anyone's, you know, gonna, you know, Sam speaking out of turn here to say, my daughter plays with a lot of wrestling figures. Just saying. Anyone might get that, not know yeah. that already? If you have, it means you haven't been around much, yeah. right? <laughs> Luke's children, who are male and female, play with wrestling figures. Yet true or false, Lou? That's true. Right? Now, they play not necessarily the way Haley plays with them. I mean, Haley and I, you know, book together, and we have a giant bin. Literally, we have hundreds and hundreds of guys in there. And they don't have as many. But then they they do their booking differently, and Haley looks at her booking as like that's how she does it, and everyone else should follow her, right? It kind of sounds like Vince McMahon, right? Um, <laughs> so, but they play with that. It's Haley doesn't look at it like, oh, well, I can't play with John Cena because that's a boy's toy, or I have yeah. to, I have to play with you know Lacey Evans. She's like, um, well, John Cena is going to be my champion because I like John Cena, and he's going to beat Brock Lesnar, even though I had Brock Lesnar suplex John Cena a hundred times. It was so funny. Um, but the idea is like, she didn't look at it like boys, toys and girls toys. And I had a dad once say to me, not, not, um, obviously when they were younger, because his son, um, wanted to be a chef and he was little, he wanted to be a chef. That's all he wanted to be. Oh, Matthew wanted to be a chef and he still kind of wants to be a chef. And now it's like, okay, but, and, uh, the, the dad said, well, I don't know. I, he wants a kitchen. I'm like, well, buy him a kitchen. I'm not buying my son a kitchen. He's not a girl. I'm like. Dude, I go, he wants to be a chef. All he talks about is being a chef for his birthday. I had to go. Good Lord. When Ugly Dolls, before they were an actual thing you could buy in a store, we had to go to Comic-Con and see the six people who work for that company who hand-sewed these things. I had to go get the cookie chef for him. Why? Because mm-hmm. that's the only one he wanted. Yeah. And it took – because there was no – he didn't want to be girls. He wanted to be a chef. That's what he wants to do. Being, right. There's nothing wrong with being a chef. I do all the cooking in this house. We'd all starve right. if it wasn't for me. <laughs> right? I mean I, I don't do the cooking in my house. My kids are always amazed that I can cook. It's like, yes, daddy once lived on his own and didn't yeah. eat takeout every night, I swear. Yeah. 
But no, I mean, we're in the same boat. I mean, you know, when my two boys, that's what they when they were, I think, four and two Mm -hmm. and their sister was a newborn. That's what they wanted for Christmas was a kitchen, which and we have our kitchen with our, you know, like the the handheld shopping carts you get if you don't get a buggy. One of those filled with all the play food is still in my kitchen. Yeah. Right now, about 25 feet from where I'm sitting, and it's still cooked in. Everybody cooked as cooked in that kitchen at one time or another. Okay, so think about and, this. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Think about this. Yeah. When, when you guys come up, right, and we're at mom and dad's, they play with the Brio. Boys, yes. girls, doesn't matter. They play with the trains. Well, that's okay. Girls can play with trains. They also all cook in that kitchen together. Yes. And Haley's like, no, no, that's not how I cook in my kitchen. And, you know, you, you, the boys are like, that's how we're cooking this. It, they all play with it. It's not a problem because why? They're yeah. using their imaginations. It's not boys or girls stuff to do. It literally is. This is what we're doing. You know. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Sit, sitting literally. I'm holding it up to the microphone so because it just happens it. to be sitting here on the table, so we can see it. Is my youngest daughter's bag of transformers. Mm-hmm. And all of my kids love transformers. All of them. Now they have different ones that they like. Like you know, my my youngest. Her favorite is RC, and it's like, okay, of course it's RC, right? You know, she's pink. She's got a cool future car. You know, she's really cool in the movie. She's, uh, you know, and all that. But, you know, she also loves Ravage and mm-hmm. Laserbeak mm-hmm. and Slash, who's the uh, the uh, the Velociraptor Dinobot. You know, my, my oldest, her favorite is Apeface, the headmaster, oh for crying out loud. <laughs> and she's like, she loves Apeface and Dreadwind. Because she loves their colors and that they turn into space jets and stuff. Like, I haven't told her that there's a Voyager class ape face. She's going to lose her you-know-what when she yeah. gets that. Because yeah. she'll be able to put her little ape face on big ape face. You know, so it's like, it's to me, it's like that That was always the thing about both of those lines. And Mattel was smart because they made them all to scale. So that, let's say you had a brother and sister, you know. And let's say that, you know, it, it, that, that it wasn't, that we, were, we, we were two boys, so it's a little bit different. But if you had a family that had a, a son and a daughter. You could have He-Man and She-Ra, and they were the same scale, and they could mm-hmm. play together. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and then you. and then that's not even counting, you know, the Remco lines that could play with yes. them, the yeah. Gold Girl that could play with She-Ra. All I mean, that this was a rev. I mean, much like Star Wars and the Mego Pocket uh, Hero in My Pocket, mm-hmm. three and three quarter inch was a revolu was a revelation. Five and a half inch became a revelation for a little while because really, when you get down to it. That's basically what Turtles is, right? I mean, they're a little bit smaller, but yeah. they're still that that we skew a little bit younger than G.I. Joe. We skew a little bit younger than Star Wars. We need something a little bit bigger, a little more outrageous, a little more brightly colored. Right. And that's that, and a, a little more uh, off the wall, maybe in our concepts, but that appeals to the target audience, you know? So it's it that that's that's the thing that, about this property is, like I said, it, it, it became – it, it, some people say, oh, it's just a catch-all. It's like, it's not a catch-all. It's just wild and crazy. Yeah. It's, it's got a, a wide uh, breadth that it covers, and all of it fits. <laughs> yeah. You know? And and the one thing I can honestly say is when you look at um, being a kid this time, and you're playing with your He-Mans and stuff like that, and then you learned about the Remcos, about the Hercules, and about the yes. Warlord, and about the, and, and, and I'm not even talking about the, the Remco wrestlers, because that's an entire episode in itself. Um, yeah. And you're like, what? They're the same size. Now, they didn't have the the their waist didn't they, they just they didn't have the, 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 the twist punch. Yeah. Yes. Right. They didn't have the twist punch and they didn't have the rubber band inside of them. They were just pegged together. But it's like these all work together. So Hercules and He-Man worked in the same thing. Right. My Hercules yeah. would come in and like 
He-Man, oh no, He-Man, I got it. And he would get in there and he used the the, the gray sword. He used to have his club, but he had this, the gray sword that came with Grayskull, right? You know, yes. on the weapons rack. That was that was Hercules' sword. Because Hercules, I know who Hercules is. You got to remember, I'm named after freaking Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> like, I wanted Jason and the Argonauts in this side. Could you imagine Jason and the Argonauts line in this side? Yeah. Think of how big or, or, Kalos yeah. would have been. Good lord, or say that, or or me, or you know, I mean, really, Clash of the Titans. Oh, oh yes, Clash, Clash of the yes, Titans yes. had gone to that size. Yeah, right. I mean, they, right. they only made the four figures, but geez, and like I said, we had a, a Perseus and yeah. Uh, or, I mean, know, think, and, think uh, of how big the Kraken name, was. Uh, right. Yeah. Think how big the Kraken was for three and three quarter. The Kraken would have been huge. That'd have been great. He Man could have fought a Kraken. Like that's that's the thing. Well, yeah, but then you would have and you would have gotten Pegasus. You know, there yeah. was. You read okay, so in Princess of Power. We do have a, a, a Pegasus. Yes. Uh, Swiftwind. Yes. Swiftwind yes. is She-Ra's mount. If you go back and read the original mini comics, it was strongly su- suggested by those comics that Tila was going to have a horse, mm-hmm. was going to have a mount that was going to be called Charger. Right. Because Mattel from Barbie had plenty. I always say plenty like Triple H, plenty <laughs> of horse molds that they had access to, much like the big gym molds that became Battle Cat and Zor and Panthor and Screech. Yeah. So they had access to a horse and it's like, well, we can make a, a horse, a battle charger for, um, you know, Tila to ride. That could have been a Pegasus, yeah. you know, for Perseus. It's like, damn, that would have been cool. Yeah. So <laughs> We're all over the damn place. I'm telling you folks, there's going to be a movie here. So where were we? Oh yeah. They, they got in the gray They captured the sorceress. Okay. Skeletor's arch mentioned arch, nem, arch, try it again. Arch enemy, the warrior, He-Man, veteran soldier, man at arms, and his daughter, Tila, Rescue Gildor from uh, Skeletor's forces. Gildor, a the, uh, Theorian locksmith, reveals that Skeletor has acquired his invention, a cosmic key that can open a portal to anywhere by using musical notes. The device was stolen by Skeletor's second command, Evil Lynn, allowing Skeletor to breach Castle Grayskull. Okay, we just talked about a whole bunch of people. He-Man, of course, yeah. that is Dolph Lundgren. That's, we all know him. Dolph Lundgren is still acting to this day, right? Then yep, we talk about recently uh, a featured bad guy in a series on a season of Arrow. Actually. Yes. Yes. Okay. Then we talked about man at arms. Man at arms is one of the most, um, when you're a kid, he might not be your most popular character. Cause he's kind of like the dad on the show. Um, yep. but as you get older, you're like, man, this guy, you know, he's seen some stuff. Um, that was, uh, John <laughs> Cypher plays him. Right. His daughter, Tila, um, here again, who is calling now? Oh my god, every time Luke is on this show, someone needs to call. This is and it's it's a it's a BS call. This is gonna be garbage. I'm gonna turn this off. They don't even get to the the Oh my god. Yeah. There we go. Enough of that. Sorry. Oh, I'm not even Holy God in heaven. Are you kidding me? And hang up. Stop calling here. Oh my lord. Sorry, folks. I'm not editing that. I'm leaving that in. We're gonna do yeah. this. I'm tired of this. It's the the bull. Not okay. The one thing quarantine has done is now we got to make sure we got to get people are home. Let's just start doing all these. It's scam after scam after scam. I know that when Luke and I did our episode of uh, um, um, Pitch Storm, Dad called in the middle, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I got called." I called Dad back after that, but literally it never stops. Anyway, so where were we? Oh yeah, Tila is by uh, Chelsea Field, um, and again, Tila here looks a little different, obviously, than Tila in the. Uh, you know the comic books and in the um, the TV series here, she's much more a warrior. She's a she's a she's a, a, a soldier, I should say, not a warrior. Yeah. She's not right. dressed kind of like um, you know T 
Tila with the, like the high bathing suit kind of thing she was doing in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, I love here that right away we get the big three. I mean, the He-Man, Man-at-Arms, and they were the big three heroes mm-hmm. of, of the series in general. And they're all pretty, you know, again, yes, changes and adaptations, but they're, they're, to me, they're recognizable, those characters. You know, the, you got He-Man, the, the big, you know, the big hero guy. You got Man-at-Arms, the, the grizzled soldier. And then Tila, the, who's like the captain of the guard, the really capable mm-hmm. warrior. And again, you, you get them right up front and these are going to be our main characters as they should be. Yeah. And then of course we meet evil Lynn, who is the incomparable Meg Foster. Oh my gosh. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Meg, Meg Foster, who's just going to leave you on the bottom of the ocean in Leviathan. Uh, she's not really, I mean, okay. And I'm sure Meg Foster is a very nice person, but she plays a bad guy really well. So, uh, just saying it. I, I will say this about Meg Foster's Evil Lynn that uh, I've read, and this is actually on the wiki, but I've read this in other places too, that um, there originally was an idea for her to wear contact lenses, mm-hmm. but they did not. They left her the, 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 the blue eyes that we see on Evil Lynn. Those are Meg Foster's natural eye color. Yes. And my God, is that striking? Yeah. I mean, she looks so, I mean, she looks a lot different than Evil Lynn you know, does in, in the toy line and such, but what a great look for Evelyn because she looks menacing. Yes. You know, Evelyn was the one, one of Skeletor's henchmen that was consistently portrayed as being actually a threat. Yes. And that carries over here where, yes, the other ones might be physically more intimidating, but she, she is an operator. As we say, she gets stuff done. Yes. And she, Meg Foster does a fantastic job as Evelyn. She, she is her and Frank Langella are the, to me are the, main stars of this movie they're yes. just both great yeah i mean even though dolph Lundgren make a top billing uh yeah. they, they are and, and dolph Lundgren does a fine job no, no. as he-man he-man's not that but he's not, not interesting as, yeah he-man's he not, not interesting, interesting character skeletor yeah. and the interesting characters they gave them the actors who made them much more and i'm not that's not a knock on uh the way he-man was portrayed here he-man himself is just not a very interesting character yeah. um and of course we mentioned gildor who is uh 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 he is in, in new edition here because there is no Gildor toy. There is no Gildor on. Yeah, he kind of is filling like Orko's role. I feel exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and they made him cause Orko would be very hard to film in 87 flying yes. around like magical and stuff. Um, and Gildor of course is played by the, you know, Billy Barty, uh, you know, Billy Barty. I mean, yeah. good Lord. I mean, I mean, he plays it great. It's so funny when you listen to him, just like, I don't know. He talks and like, he jumps around and stuff. You're like, man, this is great. See, a um, lot of people don't like Gwildor. I always liked him because, well, you know, again, it, Ma- Masters was always the mashup of magic and science, right? And Orko leaned to the magical. Gwildor fills the same role, but does it from a science standpoint. You know, he has a, a machine that he created that opens portals. Mother box, excuse me. But um, it's which a is, cosmic again, key. There, There is a lot of. Yes. Jack Kirby's fourth world in this. Yes. And that's okay with me. But anyway, so, but Gwildor, the idea, you know, the, it, and again, kind of a stock fantasy character, the absent minded inventor, right? Who gets taken advantage of by the bad guys. But first off, Barty does a, does, is, again, seems to be having a lot of fun wearing a ton of latex. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's but, wearing tons of makeup. But I, I, yeah, but I like Gwildor because he, you know, he's, he's, he's a comic relief character, 
but they're letting the comic relief character be done. The comic relief be done by the comic relief character, much like Orko was a comic relief yeah. character. You uh, know, you're not you're not having pratfalls with He-Man and Man-at-Arms. You're having pratfalls and and funny stuff with Gildor. And I think he's a well-designed character. He's got, you know, he's. I mean, you look at him. Yeah, he's he's got he's got his, the face and all that, all the appliance, but like the the little decoration on him, like he's got all the keys and everything on his belt. Yeah. He's got all his tools hanging off him. He he looks like you know a guy that that is gonna get in and get into the nuts of bolts of something. So and I, I like that, and I like the cosmic cube, or cosmic cosmic, cosmic key. key. Now you got me saying it because again, <laughs> uh, it would it's. Well, that that that's a different Jack Kirby thing, the cosmic cube. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But. Uh, but I like the cosmic key because it's like, again, we need we need some MacGuffin, right? We need the diamond ray of disappearance or whatever it's going to be. And this one is one that at least makes sense. It's something that, you know, opens time, portals into time and space. Yes. So so uh, I think I think people's big problem with Gildor is that he wasn't Orko. Right. You know, I think that's really what people problem was. It was not that the character was poor or and I like I mean, he has a lot of attention to detail and it's, it's really well done makeup and it looks good. It doesn't look cheesy as like like a CG would have kind of look look later like you know kind of thing. if they'd done like not that they would have done CG then but CG sometimes you know like oh it's a fake character they're not done well this is really yeah. a guy in a suit um, but because Orko right. would have yeah had... I mean no matter yeah no matter what you think of Gwildor as a character that's really Billy Barty yes. on screen wearing yes. all that stuff so there's we talked about this there's tactility there's yes. mass and depth because it's a real person <laughs> yeah. there's there's no there's there's no chicanery it's all in the frame yeah. I think that's part of the problem, though. It's, it's not Orko, and Orko was such a part of the show. Um, yep. But I think it works better here anyway. With Gildor's remaining prototype of the key in hand, He-Man and his friends travel to the castle. They attempt to free the sorceress, but are overwhelmed by Skeletor's army and are forced to flee through Gildor's hastily opened portal, transporting them to Earth. The key is misplaced. That's the nicest way to say that. On yes. their arrival, and discovered by two California teens, orphaned high school girl, Julie Winston and her boyfriend, Kevin Coogan. I almost said Ricky Coogan. Kevin yeah. Coogan. Ricky Coogan. <laughs> That's a, if you want to hear about Ricky Coogan and all the weirdos yeah. and freaks, go check out On the Vault when we cover Freak. <laughs> you know, I told On the Vault, I almost made Dad watch that. Like, if we if we had oh. said no on The Vault, Dad was watching that movie, I don't know if Dad would have made it through. No. It's, he would have no. loved it, but I don't know if he would have made it through the first 10 minutes. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, of course, here we have um, – now we're in California, and we have Kevin Coogan, who um, is played uh, – where is Ke- – Kevin Coogan is played by uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, who no one cares about. Um, Robert but- Duncan McNeil, best known probably to, to listeners on Two True Freaks. He played Lieutenant Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager for seven seasons. Yeah, but Courtney Cox is playing his girlfriend, so no one yes. – And Courtney Cox, for everyone who knows her, she is the girl who's dancing in the dark video who can't dance. Yeah. Um, and that's all she ever did. I think that's all that's she's it. ever been. Yeah, that in this movie. Yes, yeah, no. maybe that's uh, it. Shame her career didn't go anywhere, um, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Well, um, and you know what's funny is that every night before we go to bed, my wife and I end up watching Friends on Nick at Night. Oh, and God. they just had an episode with David Arquette playing oh. a character who is doesn't interact with Monica in any way. And the episode was from 1996, which was the same year. Oh my God. Are you kidding? That that scream came out, which is where uh, uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette first started dating. If I remember correctly. So yeah, uh, Courtney Cox, of course, you know, uh, Monica Geller on friends, which is why the connection with, uh, um, 
uh, Christina Pickles is so funny because she would go on to play her mother in Friends. And then, of course, Gail Weathers in uh, in Scream and countless other things. You know, you it's it's amazing watching that show now, how the different, you know, like on um, on, on TV tropes, we have the breakup breakout you know, where you have like the rockers, right? You know, they broke up and one of them broke out and one of them didn't. It's like, you have like across gender lines in that show because you had Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, and, um, and, um, I'm blanking on her name now, played Phoebe. Um, uh, um, um, it'll come to me. Give me a second. So (laughs) all three of the women go on to have successful careers. And then only recently, have any of the men, which is Matt LeBlanc, really had any type of real success with their careers beyond that? I mean, they've done other shows and stuff, but they uh, have not Lisa had the Kudrow. level. Lisa Kudrow, that's yeah. right. They have not had the level of success that the women did on that show for whatever reason. You know, it just worked out that way. But uh, I am not going to lie. I didn't watch Friends when it first came on because to me, Friends was that show that was trying to be like Seinfeld, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when my wife and I first started dating, she watched Friends. And I remember saying, oh, uh, I was like, oh, Courtney Cox. I was like, she's from Scream. She was also Masters of the Universe. And I was like, what? Because she had never seen Scream yet. She's like, what are you talking about? And then her mom showed, I was like, I think she played the sorceress in Masters of the Universe, didn't she? And again, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Luke. Okay. It's like, Can you just be quiet? Let me watch my show, please. Can you, you know, go play your game or whatever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that, uh, um, here obviously she's not a star yet or anything like that so because kind of like it's kind of like when you see matthew mcconaughey and and uh, renee zellweger in uh chainsaw four you know right. they're not stars yet she's not a star yet she's just a young girl playing this role and she became a star later on so now they say courtney cox in it's like okay she's not the star you know it's like and it's a big role i mean in, in all fairness she doesn't right. have a big but, but the thing is but, but her name was not the big name the movie no. was sold on you know, it's like when Anaconda first came out. It's like John Voight and yeah. Jennifer Lopez and Anaconda, or John Voight and Eric Stoltz and Anaconda. Now it's Jennifer Lopez in Anaconda with, and then like 20 people, and at the end, oh, and Eric Stoltz. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, where were we here? While experimenting with the device, they accidentally send a signal that allows Evelyn to track it. She then sends her henchmen, um, Saurod, Blade, Beastman, and Karg. To, re- to recover it. Now, Beastman is actually from the show, right? Yep. Unfortunately, Blade is not from the show. I always thought he was really cool, and he could have been really cool in the show. But I think yep. Triclops kind of fits that mold better, you know, in the because he has the sword part, and he would have two guys yep. with swords. Um, and then you have Karg and Saurod, right? Am I saying that right? I think it's Saurod. I think, I think it's Saurod. Saurod. I think, but... Yeah, Saurod. Yeah, so it, it's, it's interesting here. You had all these... And there's a lot of evil warriors to choose from. And they go with, I mean, Evil Lynn, obviously, and then Beastman. And Beastman, Beastman's pretty on point, you know, for the most part. I mean, yeah, he looks different uh, from his depiction on the toy in the show. But Beastman, to me, is was muscle, right? He was never yeah. called on to do any thinking. And, uh, and I think most people would agree with that. The other characters are an odd bunch. Yeah. Because Blade... Now, uh, we were talking before I went on the air. I have the comic book adaptation of Masters of the Universe, the motion picture, put out by the Star Comics imprint from Marvel Comics. And Blade is actually a yellow-skinned alien of some kind. He's not just a human in the, uh, like he is in the movie. Blade works really well because it, it's a character you can do on budget. 
he's a guy that's it's just a dude in a costume with props. You know, there's no uh, prosthesis or any effects or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I, I always liked Blade. The Blade toy is actually pretty cool. Uh, they did make three movie toys in the main toy line. They made a Gwildor, they made a Blade, and they made a Sorod. Mm-hmm. Um, so Blade I'm totally cool with, and Blade will get some some scenes to shine later. Sorod and Karg are original characters as well, and it's just odd to me that they would go with original characters and not do... Like, there's no reason that Sorod couldn't be Merman, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason that Karg, because Karg has actually a hook for a hand... Mm-hmm. Couldn't you have made Karg into a version of Trapjaw, you know, to have just the weapon hand instead? Uh, I don't know that I would like Trapjaw playing the role that Karg plays in this. Yeah. But just from a production standpoint, it's just interesting that they went with original characters here. And, and they're they're well-designed. They're very cool. They they um, These guys have made some really cool toys over the years. There was a premium set of movie action figures put out. Uh, as we're recording this last year, and the Karg in that looked fantastic. Yeah. And even the Sawrod, I never really thought much of Sawrod, but you he looks great in this. You know, he's yeah. got the like the the amphibian thing on his neck that croaks out and stuff, which is really creepy. Well, in, in and, all fairness, folks, just want to throw it out there: Luke and I both watched it on Blu-ray. We could yeah. not tell how good it looked on any VHS copy ever, or when we were like. Uh, nine and seven respectively seeing it in the theater so just letting yes. you know so yeah that blu-ray is totally worth your mm-hmm. money if you like yeah. this absolutely but it's i mean i i like the evil warriors that we get here but they're just an odd bunch i don't i don't really understand the idea of only adapting evil in and beast man when you've got literally any character you could want you could pick somebody from skeletor's forces at this point in so 1987. part of me is wondering is if they did it so because they wanted to, they thought maybe if this hits we can create new toys off of it yes so that's that's what it reads to me we got to yeah, have I, beast man and beast man doesn't look like beast man from the show I mean, he's huge here yeah you know he's he's much bigger on the on the show beast man is no bigger than he-man if not smaller than he-man here he's a huge guy you yeah. know kind of thing so were they trying to, like, maybe make new characters? I don't know. I think of yeah. it like this way. In Teen Mutant Turtles, the movie, um, you know, when they had, uh, what's it, um, the 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 Razor and... Oh, the, Toka and Razor. Like, they were not characters that were ever featured on the, on the TV show before that. But yes. you had other characters you could use, but they made them because they wanted to make them characters. And now they are the, retroactively now part of that universe, and they were part of yeah, the new stuff. It's, it's, it's to sell toys. So yes. I think you're right. The fact that they made a Sauron and Blade mm-hmm. suggests to me that had those toys been successful and the line continued, we yeah. might have gotten a Karg. Yeah. We might have gotten a, you know, a new a, Beastman. Yeah. A, a, new, a new Beastman, that kind of thing. We might have gotten more of these types of characters. We might have gotten those evil troopers yeah. or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or – or the, the golden Skeletor, like we're going to see later. So, yeah. well, I was, I was really hoping we we're going to get a Kevin and Julie, but uh, we know Kevin and Julie. No, well, you know, a lot of people knock that, but it's like, I mean, come on, man. I mean, it, it's it's you know, you gotta. There's, I understand that you you are expecting to get a live action version of the cartoon. I get it, but it's like you you got something I, different. No, what Deal I'm saying is, it. what I'm saying is, <laughs> we get Kevin and Judy action figures, and then the Kevin the, the Kevin one. Oh, know, absolutely. Like, he have, he'd have to be. He'd have he to comes be, with comes with the key tar. The key, you know? right? Would be awesome. And then yeah. Julie, well, Wildor comes with the key. I say Kevin had to come with like his keeper. Yeah, but, yes. but but what would Julie come with? I think the bucket she of ribs. The bucket, no, the bucket of ribs. <laughs> no, that would be the new Tila they put out. They make yeah. a new Tila. Um, but no, she'd have to come with like um, all the all the paperwork and the keys to the plane. Um, yeah. So anyway, 
So she'd come, she'd come with warning her dead parents. Oh, did I, did I go there? Yes, I did. <laughs> anyway, I love you. I'm leaving. I'm sorry. We haven't got there yet. Okay. Where I lo- oh, yeah. Oh, Kevin, an aspiring we'll musician. We'll- Hang on. So Kevin's an aspiring uh, musician, mistakes the key for a synthesizer and takes it to a music store run by his friend, Charlie, who at first, I don't know if it was really his friend because he's kind of standoffish. And then he's like, what, what do you got? I've seen this before. It's from Japan. And I was yeah. like, is that a shot at Transformers? So, because um, I think it is. Um, but it's okay. Because Transformers, the movie, was what year? 1986. Oh, it was before? Okay. Right, right. Yeah. But, it, but, it was, but it was done, but it wasn't done live action. It was done no, as a cartoon. It was animated. Yeah. 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 So uh, maybe it was a shot. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it just, you know, maybe it's just me reading. Maybe it was just a, a synthesizer joke. I mean, yes. that, you know, yeah. it's like in short circuit. I've seen this, man. I think it's a Kawasaki. Yeah. So. Uh, Karg's team arrives and chases Julie until He-Man rescue her, rescue, rescues her. Karg's team re- returns to Grayskull, where, uh, incensed by their failure, Skeletor kills Sarod and sends the others back to Earth. <laughs> he's like, no, don't! Oh, he's gonna kill them. Um, with a larger force under Evelyn's command. Now, part of me is thinking, before I go on here, why didn't he just send them in the first place? They don't, I mean, Blade seems like he could handle himself, but the others are kind of bumbling. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, really, it's Karg is the one that's yeah. to me bumbling. It ticks me off that Karg is the one that, you know, up, orders yeah. the retreat, screws up. Yeah. And Selrod, I mean, Selrod's out there duking it out with He-Man and yeah. stuff and Man-at-Arms, right? Yeah. And Karg is the one that's a coward and Selrod's the one that gets killed. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't have liked to see. I wouldn't want Trapjaw to play the coward because Trapjaw is hungry, but not scared. Yeah. Um. So, but I mean, that that whole bit where they are. They're called the mercenaries is what the evil warriors are referred to when they're chasing Julie around. It's at the school because there's going to be the big prom dance, right? Yeah. It's like Back to the Future. Yes. The, the fish under the sea dance. Yes. That uh, that Kevin's going to play the music at. You got to play because if you don't play, then they're not going to dance. If they don't dance, they're not going to fall in love. And then I'm in big trouble. But uh, <laughs> mash these two movies together. You're, doc, you're, doc, there's some crazy guy with a skull for a face. Marty, what are you talking about? You've got to get out of there. But, uh, you know, so but the the amount of carnage that they cause at this school is brilliant. This is I mean, you know, canon films could mess some stuff up in their movies. They go all out. And I remember as a kid being just really entertained by the fact that they were tearing the school apart. And then as a 40 year old man watching the Blu-ray, I was seriously entertained by them tearing this thing apart. This I mean, the amount I said that the that they this must have been the last day they were using this set. Yes. They tore it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All right, we got the rest of it. Everything this is good? Great. Now let's destroy it. Um, yeah. um, unable to find Julie, Kevin is taken to Julie's house by Lubick, who is a detective investigating the disturbance oh. created. Oh, what's that? We're talking about Back to the Future. It's Mr. Strickland. It is, yes. Um, uh, yeah. Well, that's the funny part. I and mean, we, we watched the movie, and Kelly goes, That guy looks familiar. I'm like, Yep, he's in Back to the Future. She goes, oh, No. It's like when she watches Dallas, and literally, I'm like, Oh, no, the principal from. Uh, the Breakfast Club is going to be the investigator. She goes, "What oh, is?" Yeah. I go, "Oh no, it's 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 be- it's Ferris's dad." She goes, "Oh my god, it is." I'm like, "Oh no, it's Chrissy. It's uh, it's her, it's Chrissy's cousin from uh, Three's Company." She goes, company. Oh, "It is." And she goes, "Kelly." She goes, "How do you know this?" I go, "Connie." I said, "I have I don't drink or smoke or do anything except for the few concussions I had. I have some blind spots." I go, "I remember a lot of my life. I saw a movie. I don't remember it so." Um, so, okay, so Lubick is the detective who's investigating the yep. disturbance created by Karg's team. They suspect the key is stolen 
So Lubick confiscates it from Kevin and leaves. Immediately, like literally seconds later, yes. Evil Lynn breaks in and captures and interrogates Kevin for the key's location with a mind control collar and then starts pursuing Lubick. How did they miss each other outside? Well, you see, he turns left, and they came from the that's right. That's what I'm thinking. What think it's like, ah. Oh. It's like in a movie where they pan over, and they, the person is standing there, and everyone's surprised. Like, they can see them. How did they yes. – why are they surprised yes. now? <laughs> um, so, Julie – And this, this whole bit, again, talking about tearing stuff up, they destroy, yes. they destroy this house. Again, you know? last they, they, day of shooting. This house looks like a war zone. Yeah. yeah. Because that house and, shows up later in the movie. Um, yeah. So, they and clearly – it's yeah, yeah they obviously filmed they filmed the, the, yes. that scene later, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, Evil Wynn slapping the collar on him and stuff. It's like this is I mean, this is to me, this is actually pretty effectively done. It's yeah. like she ain't like I said, she's an operator. She ain't fooling around. She's yeah. like, no, Skeletor says we do this. We do it. Yeah, and it's, you know, and so and she don't care. You know, yeah. she she I said she really has some great presence in these scenes, because even though, again, like she's with Beast Man and and uh, you know some of the other guys are bigger than her, but she just exudes menace. Yeah, every well, yeah. scene that there, there's that, no that doubt that she's in control. Out, outside of yeah. Skeletor, she's the she's the main person here. Yeah. So, uh, Julie and the Attorneys. That sounds like a band. Uh, yeah. Release Kevin. They from, used to open for Gem and the Holograms. Didn't oh my they? God! Yeah. <laughs> it was truly truly outrageous. Um, so release Kevin from the collar before they go after Lubick and the Key. They arrive at Charlie's store, but Skeletor's forces catch up with them. And uh, a pitched, it says a pitched battle ensues. Yep. All I know is literally it looks like um, right out of Red Dawn when the Russians mm-hmm. roll into town. <laughs> yep. um, so, okay. I, I mean, I got to say, first off, the whole effect shot of the transport of uh, Evil Inn and mm-hmm. all the warriors for the budget of this movie and the vintage that holds up really yes, well. Yeah. That is a good effect. I don't, I no qualifiers on that. That looks really cool. They, that it's one of those ones where you don't got, you, you got to be creative on how you do it. You can't, you, you can't, you know, do this, uh, like Cecil B. DeMille doing the 10 commandments. You got to do it on a budget, but it's a very well done shot of her with all her crew rolling in. And then, yeah, this store, it's like, the, like I said, this is, you can tell this is a Canon film. There's a scene coming up that proves it's a Canon film, but the whole, Again, the whole thing like, is, though, is that literally they are destroying everything. <laughs> yes. Every, that, that's literally my blowing up everything, everything underlined yeah. in the shop. <laughs> so, oh, man. Okay, so uh, Evelyn's able to recover the key um, by tricking Julie, right? Because yes. we know Julie's parents are dead. She appears as Julie's mother. You, As a kid, I remember yelling, that's clearly not your mom. Like, you know, kind of thing like. At, an, at nine and seven, we already knew more than Julie that her mom is not dead. She's not dead. They say survived. Where yes. have they been? It's not like they, they crashed yesterday, buddy. Like, you know, it's not like they're not coming back. So yeah. um, this this scene, again, it, it's a little corny. Yeah. And it, I think it plays more to the audience. But, you know, but Julie, again, she she's still she is she's been something of a lost soul that we've seen in this movie. She doesn't, you know, she lost her parents. She's all alone at this point. She is old enough to be in school, but she's obviously on her own. She has no other family that we see of. 
and she's in this highly stressful situation. And then there's the fact that it's Eva Lynn, who we've already established, knows what the score is and knows how to get what she wants. So, you know, you don't, maybe there's some type of mind whammy that she's putting on her as well as the, you know, the, 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 uh, making her look like her mom and stuff. Right. right. Yeah. And then this, when she, so she summons Skeletor and, you know, Skeletor is, is, is coming to earth. Right. Right. There's a great little bit of physical acting by Meg Foster. She's, she's carrying the key. Okay. She, if you notice, she's cradling the key, like it's a baby the entire time, because that's the precious thing to her now, because the key is what's going to get her the power because she has been loyal and serving her master Skeletor. So I, that I never noticed that until this watch through for this recording, because she, because she carries it, she marches out with it and she's surrounded by the troops, but she's holding it like you would expect a mother to be holding a baby. I just thought that was a really nice bit of, of physical acting from Foster. Right. So, yes. Okay. So um, that's when she, so she, as Luke said, Skeletor comes to Earth. Skeletor's forces capture the Eternians. And uh, Jill is mortally wounded by Skeletor's lightning blast, which simultaneously erases the memory of the storage of Gildor's keep. Yep. Um, He-Man sur- uh, surrenders to save it. Okay. So... Before He-Man surrenders, this is when he's on the, the 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 flying around the little flying disc. Yes, that effect is atrocious. As good yes, as yeah. the as the army coming in looks, as bad as this looks. Yeah. Um. Haley Haley watching goes, Dad, really? And I said, Yes, honey. She goes, But, but really? I'm like, Yes, honey. This is how bad it looked forever. It never yeah. looked good. It never looked good in the, when the movies when we saw it didn't look good on VH. It never looked good. Anyway, so he surrenders no. to save his comrades. The, so, but in but no that so that. Okay, but that that whole bit, no, that that I mean, it works from a story standpoint mm-hmm. that I'm chased being chased around and stuff, but no, that that effect doesn't work. Right. It's tough because what they yeah, should it, be riding are the the, the sky right, sleds, the sky sleds, right? The but, battle lambs. Yeah. yeah. There's no way in the world you're riding those. Yeah. Um, the one one thing real quick. Yeah. At before Skeletor shows up, the way they get away from Lubick in the back of Charlie's store, this is a scene that I said oh, proved this was canon yeah, film. Sorry, yeah. Wildor's packing heat. Yeah. Because Gwildor is going Charles Bronson right now in this movie. He's like, hey, Lubick, it took care of your danger problem for you, you know. But uh, that, that, no, he doesn't turn into Charles Bronson. He doesn't have a wildy 45, but, uh, but Gwildor packing heat, just in case you forgot that yes. this was Golden and Globus. Um, that, and like you said, the, the bit with Skeletor and his crew coming down the street, good use of a bunch of extras made up into... I mean, that looks like a much bigger force than it is. And it's very impressive. Them just marching down the street like that. You know, it's kind of like um, it's like a smaller scale version of like, uh, you know, uh, the emperor showing up on the Death Star in Return of the Jedi when he's got it's the same idea. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, the old powerful guy surrounded by it's like, you're, yeah, you're not going to you're not going to win. The bad guys are in charge right yeah. now. So um, He-Man surrenders to save his comrades and is returned to Eternia as Skeletor's slave. Skeletor demands that He-Man kneel before him, uh, before all of Eternia to witness, before he's uh, before he's killed. He-Man refuses and is lashed by Blade's laser whip in an attempt to make him submit. I always thought that was really cool. The laser whip part of this is really yes. cool. I mean, Blade now, shouldn't the laser whip have been Beast Man though? Because Beast Man had the whip. I agree, but yeah. I think uh, they're making Blade like they're trying to make Blade as cool as they possibly can. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. He-Man is still standing when the moon rises and Skeletor absorbs the powers of the universe. Declaring himself the master of the universe, Skeletor asserts his victory and continues to torture He-Man with energy blast. Yeah. 
Um, so this is where before, we start getting the yeah, golden before, Skeletor before, that we talked about. <laughs> yeah, the, go- the golden god. Yeah. You know, but before they – Skeletor has a great line back on Earth before they leave. He calls Earth a primitive and tasteless planet. Yeah. <laughs> so – And, uh, yeah, the other yeah. thing is we also see the wound that uh, that Julie suffers on her leg. That's pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's not as gross. The grossest leg wound ever, of course, is uh, Mickey Mantle in 61. Oh, that's pretty gross, too. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Joe Theismann, but that was real. So. That was real. That wasn't an effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, Mickey Mantle in 61, if you're, it's like, oh, God, you're yeah, not ready. Pretty you gross. Not ready. You're not ready yeah. for that, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but yeah, yeah the, all these scenes back on Eternia, it's like, oh, this movie takes place entirely on Earth. It's like, no, nah, there's, there's stuff on Eternia, and there's cool stuff on Eternia. Like I said, Blade with the laser whip. And and just the idea of, of Skeletor debasing He-Man yes. and making him, uh, you know, kneel before him and get whipped. It's like, of course, because that's Skeletor, because it's all about the theatrics and the appearance. You know, it's not necessarily about, hey, maybe I should just kill him. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I should just kill this guy. He's been a pain in the butt the whole time. All right. So back on Earth, Gildor repairs the cosmic key and Kevin recreates the tone uh, necessary to create the gateway to Eternia. The group, including Lubick who attempts to arrest them, are transported to Castle Grayskull, where they begin to battle Skeletor's forces. I like that they take half the wall, part yes. of the car. You know, that it's like, cool. you know, it's, 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 it breaks all the rules of time travel uh, that we've established from the Terminator, but it's okay. You know, kind well, of, but it's not, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a transporter, right? These are, it's not, they're not traveling through time. They're traveling through space. Yes. Okay. And yes, they had to hotwire the cosmic key with a car battery. Yes. Well, no, so I they understand. weren't quite sure what they were going to get. Yeah. Um, where are we? Did it begin to battle? Okay. Resenting that Skeletor absorbed the power of the universe without sharing it with her, Evelyn deserts him along with the other henchmen. Yep. Skeletor accidentally frees He-Man, who reclaims the sword of Grayskull, and they battle until He-Man shatters Skeletor's staff, removing his new power and restoring him to his normal state. He-Man offers mercy, but Skeletor draws a concealed sword and attempts to kill He-Man. He-Man knocks Skeletor into a vast pit below. The freed sorceress heals Julie, and a portal is opened to send the Earthlings home. Hailed as hero for their bravery, Lubick decides to remain on Eternia, which is, to me, the funniest part of this. I'm going to go stay here. You know, because he what? Like, yeah, I got a wife and kids back home. Who cares? Yeah, yeah forget that. I'm very close to my pension. I'm going to stay here. Yeah. Um, and this is when we find that Julie awakens on the morning of her parents' death by plane accident, a uh, plane crash. She prevents them from taking the ill-fated flight by taking their keys and runs outside to find Kevin. Kevin confirms that their experiences were real, producing a souvenir from Eternia, a small blue sphere containing a scene of He-Man in front of Castle Grayskull with a sword raised in the air. In a post-credit scene, Skeletor's head, head emerges from the water at the bottom of the pit and says, I'll be back! Yes. And that's it. And scene. Yes, and um, that, that's and that's the end. And you know what? I mean, this movie, like I said, to me, this movie just moves along at a very brisk pace. And the end, the last act, moves at a very brisk pace. About the only downtime we get is that little scene on Earth where they are repairing the cosmic key. And that's where, you know, we get um, Wildor talking with Kevin. And Kevin's like, you know, I'm just like a million other guys out there. And so you got to have the C80s. you got to have the... Uh, the inspirational um, message, 
right? Yeah. It's like, no, there's only there's only one of all of us. And it's one is, you know, that's all you can be is yourself. And so Gwildor, Gwildor knows what the score is, too. You know, he's got kind of an idea. He's He read the missing piece when he was a younger, you know, right. much younger dwarven weird looking guy. So, you know, so th- so they they get that little bit in there. And that it's his it's Kevin's ability to understand music because they don't have music on Eternia. You know, they don't, you know, right. so it's his way to understand it. And again, it's it's kind of corny and it's kind of kitsky, but to me it works because again, it, it takes place in its own little, its own little thing here. And it, it ties it together that he's a musician and that it's, it's this thing that's been mistaken for a synthesizer and all that. So I, I like that. I like that's the MacGuffin that they use to get back to Eternia. And then all this stuff with, I mean, again, just Skeletor and He-Man together are, are great. The, 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 you know, there's a, a fantastic line that when, Skeletor's taunting He-Man. He says, where are your friends now? Tell me about the loneliness of good, He-Man. Is it equal to the loneliness of evil? And it's, you know, that's philosophical for a movie made on, based on a barbarian sci-fi toy line. <laughs> you know? Where are your rebel friends now? <laughs> yeah, where are your rebel friends now? He's not wrong. Yeah. He-Man is all alone because of his his nature. But so is Skeletor. The two of them are always... They're they're a, they're a duo, right? They they right. have to be together. Well, they're a mit, they're a match set. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. that's why their swords in the toy line yes. literally fit together. Yes, because yeah, no, that's right. The, the 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 gray power sword and the purple power sword was the two halves of the sword of Castle Grayskull yep. that were to be the key to unlock the powers of Castle Grayskull. Yep. That's why they fit together. Yeah. Um, and they will always fight forever. That and that that became yes. kind of the brand. Yeah. When Mattel did that, that that later line, the new adventures, it was them fighting in space. The two of them will always be fighting. They right. they can never resolve this because one represents good and one represents evil. And that's all there is to it. So, uh, so Canon Group touted Master Universe as being the Star Wars of the 80s. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you released it. Uh, it was August 7th, uh, 1987. It wound up coming in third the opening weekend. Um, it earned... Uh, uh, just about a little, a little over $4.8 million. Uh, second place was Stakeout, uh, the, the um, oh, Richard Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus right? and uh, Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Right. Um, yeah. um, and that, that, that was just under $5.2 million. And a number one was The Living Daylights at $7.7 million, um, that, of course, being the James Bond movie. And, you know, James yeah. Bond movies always drew well. Um, obviously, it didn't last long on the charts. It, it made just over $17.3 million. Um, it did not get great critical response when it was came out. Um, in fact, Billy Barty actually uh, received the Golden Raspberry Award nomination for Worst Supporting Actor in a Film. He wound up losing to Dave Mendenhall from Over the Top, but oh, that's also another canon movie. Um, yeah. But the problem is, is that like I think that's that's what people remember. Like, oh, it's so bad, it's so this. It's like, but when you go back and watch it with a critical eye, you can like, okay, I see what they were doing. It was not the TV show. It, it, we weren't getting that. I think that's part of the problem is that it's remembered um, is being, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, it's, 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 re- it's remembered as being this horrendously bad movie. Yes. But when you go back and watch it, you're like, it's not that bad. And it wasn't, no, and it's, not. it's not aimed at the same audience who would be watching like rated R, you know, like hardcore movies that get canon on that hardcore and porn, hardcore and like action, blood and guts. Oh yeah, the the typical canon output. Yes, I mean, yeah. canon canon had kind of two ends of it, right? Because canon would also release Superman four. Yes. 
you know, but they also were known for doing like, you know, lots of movies with Charles Bronson. Like I said, they did a lot of the, the death wish sequels, uh, a lot of movies that were, you know, exploitative, really exploitative. And this was not like that. This was now, I mean, it might be a bit of a stretch to call it a family film, but it, it, it is an all ages film, certainly, yes. yeah. you know, and uh, it's, it, it's one of those ones. I think that given the time when it was made, like let, let's okay let I mean you know part of we I made a kind of sideways reference to the Jack Kirby Fourth World stuff and there's a lot of Jack Kirby in this you know mm-hmm. um, you know the idea of like Skeletor is essentially like Dark Side um, you know Gwildor is essentially Metron yep. that kind of thing so there is a, a lot of that that type of stuff and that and that's fine and that that was according to Gary Goddard on purpose uh, that he and, and John Byrne uh, pointed this out a long time ago I remember reading a a, a thing online about John Byrne pointing out a lot of these things originally. Uh, and Byrne knows his fourth world stuff because Byrne also did a lot of those characters. So, you know, it's, it's, we're not in the, where we are now where comic book movie is like printing money. Most of the time comic book idea of a comic book movie was like, what do you, you just want to piss away $20 million. You know, yeah. why would you do that? It's yeah. like, here's like, okay, well this is an adaptation of a super popular toy line. It's got a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's got, a lot of people into that. So that, but it's like, if you tried to make this, like there, there's been stalled efforts to make a new masters of the universe movie for decades. That's what I was going to talk about next. Yeah. 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 But, but just in, in you know, regardless of the details, the concept of doing that now, you'd make a different movie. You would make one fully set on Eternia. You would make one with, you know, Prince Adam and all the characters on both sides and would be a big bombastic epic. In the 80s, that wasn't what you were going to get. Right. And I like the smaller story here because I think that setting these larger-than-life characters, He-Man and Skeletor and Evil Lynn and the crew, against the re- the real world makes them that more fantastic. And it really, I like that juxtaposition, you know, and and one of the things that's in the comic that was in the original script of the movie that didn't make it was the revelation that Eternia and earth were connected because, you know, Queen Marlena was an earthling, was an earth astronaut that was stranded on Eternia, married King Randor and had Adam. Right. So that connection was going to be in it. In the comic, we see that, um, well, on Earth, He-Man sees the American flag, and then later when they're in the, 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 the palace at the end, he says that we found this in the archives down, you know, down in the sub-basements or whatever, that there was this American – This I, I don't have it, the comic right in front of me – where it's it's the American flag. And so there was that connection that these planets were already linked. Yeah. And that, that would have helped. It's a little thing, but that would have been – you know, that would have been something that would have been a, a nice touch. So – yeah, it's, you know, it's just, it's just these little things that you miss. But, um, oh, here it is. Yeah, so um, so they're they're getting ready to leave. Sorceress is giving them the orb. And Man-at-Arms comes in. He says, look, I knew the answer was down there if I just searched hard enough. And He-Man says, of course, my mother showed me that when I was a boy. She said that the first Eternians had it with them when they were shipwrecked here a thousand years ago. And um, Man-at-Arms is holding uh, an American flag and a NASA flag. Yeah. And uh, Tila says, I thought it was all just a legend. And uh, Julie says, I don't understand. And Kevin says, Starfinder 5, July 10th, 2221. But it's only 1987. Now that means, and that when they start, Gwildor starts talking about that, you know, time is a measure of space as well as distance and all. They start, that's actually in the movie. But that, they just kept that little bit. That would have helped, yeah. you know, really establish again, 
the the idea of, of Earth and Eternia being being linked and all that. So I, I wonder if they were worried about making the link that they had to be American. Yeah, maybe that we're yeah, worried about possibly. that because yeah. there there is no talk of Eternians are clear. You know, they're not they're not American. They're just Eternians. Like I, I, you know, maybe that was why they kept it out for who knows. That's so. Um, yeah, yeah. About, about around two thousand, about uh, two thousand seven, John Woo was uh, kind of rumored to be looking to make a uh, that had been something, huh? Uh, a, yeah. a, a new He-Man movie, but it never went anywhere. Around two thousand nine, Joel Silver um, was in talks about a potential film. It never kind of took off more than anywhere else. They kind of were talking about um, they, they they had a script, but uh, Warner even announced that John Stevenson, who went on to direct Kung Fu Panda, would direct the feature. Um, but it kind of, that changed hand, the scripting duty went, changed hands to Evan Doherty. And then he was still detected to correct, to direct, but then that kind of petered out about 2012. Uh, John Chu was in talks to direct it. Um, and Dolph Lundgren actually had said that he was contacted to play the role of King Randor. Um, and then that would have been, that would been really cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, John Chu, he direct. I want to say, didn't John Chu direct? Um, I want to say he directed GI Joe Retaliation and the Gem movie. I want to say, yeah. He's, well, he's he also he's went more on to known, do Crazy Rich the, Asians. So. Yes, I was going to say. Now most people know him for Crazy Rich Asians, but yeah. uh, but he did the Step Up movies also because yes. he is he has a background in dance. Yeah. So. Um... And then, so they, but right, to do, they had, they actually got people on to rewrite the script. Uh, through 2013, it still was still an early, ex, you know, they were still trying to figure it out. Th- things kind of went on. Um, and then eventually, Chu said he was not going to bother directing it. By 2014, they actually had attached, um, there were several different directors, including Rain Johnson, who did Looper, and Joe Cornish, who did Attack the Block and stuff like that, um, and Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did Lego Movie were being talked about as frontrunners to be able to direct a movie by, you know, you're getting into 2014. It just kind of fell apart again. Um, now Chris Yost has been hired to write it in 2015, 2016. Like it just, it's an idea that just won't go away. 2017 reported that uh, David Grower uh, was now set to not only write, but direct the film. Um, then uh, by 2018, he stepped away as director to focus on other projects. Like, the problem is then they said um, they wanted to have uh, Carl uh, um, not who was a creature designer and work, used to work for ILM and also worked for the original uh, also worked on the original filmation cartoon like was brought in like it's just by 2019 I mean we're talking about literally up to modern day Sony actually announced that they re- have a release date for March 5th 2021 of what they want to do where am I here uh, principal photography in the film was scheduled to begin mid-July in Prague of 2019. Uh, it's reported that Noah uh, Santino is in talks to play He-Man, but uh, in, uh, he, okay, he was then officially cast for it. They got a release date of March 5th, 2021, but not filming anything. In 2020, the film was pulled from the schedule, and its March release was filled with uh, was filled by Uncharted, which was later pushed back four months. So, again. It's yeah. a movie that I'm, literally we're talking about 2007. We're talking 13 years, 14 years, just on this like, who could have? It's not dying. The idea is not going away. No, you know. So and and the idea holds. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in that brand. Yeah, 
I yeah. mean, we're seeing it now as we are recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, Masters of the Universe has actually Mattel has begun a resurgence of the of the brand. We not only have the crossover with Mattel's one of their other big boy toy properties, which is a WWE um, with the Masters of the WWE Universe figures using the uh the you know mashing up those two brands but also the new masters of the universe origins line which is a modern update of the original version and classic sort of look and feel uh we have the a new line of little collectible miniatures little two inch tall minifigures uh we have uh obviously we talked about the new she-ra show that's on netflix we've got a new he-man show coming to netflix you know, there's a lot of this stuff going on, and I think it's because, honestly, you want to know what, and, and I might be completely off base here, because Master of the Universe never really went away. I mean, it went away for bits and fits and starts, mm-hmm. but once the 2002 show came, the, 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 the brand has always been around, whether it was that series or then the Masters of the Universe Classics, which was the adult collector line, which uses like the, um, the Marvel uh, or the, you know, DC Universe mm-hmm. Classics style uh, bucks. Uh, and 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 when ran for years and years and just about any character you can imagine from any piece of Masters of the Universe or Princess of Power media got made into a classics figure. Um, the the line was it was always around, but it was it wasn't a mass market thing. It was a collector thing, you know. And I really and I again I might be totally off base, but I really think that that first season of the toys that made us when they did Masters of the Universe. That reawakened this spark for folks our age mm-hmm. about how much they enjoyed that. And it, it, it started the juices turning. It's like, you know what? There's a reason why that appealed to kids in the 80s, and it can still appeal to kids now. Because one thing I will say about those Masters of the WWE Universe and the WWE, or excuse me, Masters of the Universe Origins figures, yes, they are being snapped up by adults, absolutely. Having shot, a and handled with them and shot a video of one of those and they're uh, mechanically they're the same they're just interchangeable parts and stuff you can hand that to a kid and they can play with it all day and it'll still be holding up just like an old school Mm -hmm. masters of the universe toy would they're not fragile they're designed for play and so i really think mattel is is pushing that in that direction and what we're taught what they're talking about as far as the way that this line is going to be rolling out that it's going to be for play. It's not going to be a collector's line. That there's going to be stuff that's aimed at collectors. Right. You know, right yeah. now we've got a vote going on to vote on obscure characters. And it's down to like Keldor versus Mini Comics Triclops, <laughs> who had like a red and green armor. It's like, come on. It's like, we're going to get a regular Triclops. Vote for Keldor, people. But, um, you know, but that could, but then at the same time, um, you know, you, you look at like all the planograms from Walmart and stuff, and it's like, well, there are pegs that are just He-Man and pegs that are just Skeletor and then other figures. It's like, of course, because those are the figures they want people to buy. Just like the original He-Man and Skeletor were essentially available throughout the entire run of the original line. You know, mm-hmm. even as like Buzz-Off would you know, be phased out and replaced with Cyclone or whomever, He-Man and Skeletor, you could still get a new version, but those originals were still hanging on. You could still get them too. So I think a lot of it is, is just this reawakening of, of the nostalgia that the same thing we got with Transformers, the same thing we got with a much lesser degree with G.I. Joe, because they haven't had a movie really hit the way a Transformers movie has. But they see the value in that, you know. I mean, Hasbro Hasbro has essentially a movie studio now. You know, all Spark Pictures, based on the success of the Transformers movies. And um, Mattel wants a piece of that. You right. Know? 
and they're and they'd be foolish not to in the market that we're in nostalgia has always fueled such a big portion of that and now you're getting the 80s kids that now have kids of their own and they have disposable income and you make a big budget masters at a universe movie there's going to be a lot of 40 year old dudes in black t-shirts going to see that movie and they're bringing their kids with them yeah and, and the other thing obviously too uh because we're recording this game we always record a little early but this is the this this is the mid-december release um you know we're getting close. I mean, obviously, we're in the midst of, uh, you know, this year has been good gravy, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. you can't even describe this year right now. Like, you know, I feel like it's a slap to your face with your palm, but you can't do that because your hand sanitizer has now been recalled. Uh, yeah. So the problem is, is that, like, uh, you know, talking about Master Universe, this is one of the reasons why I thought this episode works really well. We're talking about toys. And yeah. when do you think most about toys? I mean, I think about toys all the time, and so do you. Yeah. Uh, but like it's your Christmas, right? You know the wish list. Yep. Like you know when when the when the Sears book would come out. Like remember what? Oh, you know, yeah, right. Sears wish book. Yeah, and you'd be like, oh man, look at these new toys. Got to get this, Dad. We got to get this. And he's like, all right, all right. And he already had them all in the closet anyway because he went and bought them the day <laughs> they came out. Um, but the whole thing was is that you know that was part of what we did, and, and that's one of the reasons why this episode makes sense. And people would say, hey, you know, but this this would make more sense for the end of the year episode because you know it's kind of like one of those weird movies. No, it makes perfect sense to be the before Christmas episode. It's the yeah. toys, it's the stuff, it's the the memories, the you know opening Christmas morning, opening up Castle Grayskull, me literally trying to suck every last ounce of air out of that room. Got, yeah. There's a video of it. Poor Luke trying to walk in the door, half asleep, and mom shoving him in the door. Yeah. Get in there! Oh, geez, Luke's like I'm. A, I, see, folks, you got to understand that, like, um, you know, my brother and I, obviously, you know, we we share a lot of memories and stuff because again, we grew growing up together, or whatever. But like. When, when you watch the old home videos when I was converting them over and he was like, Oh, here's Luke getting shoved. And Kelly goes, what do you mean? I go, I've seen this video a hundred times. I've watched this open this <laughs> and dad using uh beast man's whip as the rope for the castle to make the elevator go up and down. And I was like, Oh no, that's what happened to beast man's whip. But, but Luke getting shoved in the door and then Luke's sitting there and mom goes, give Gary Ganu a hug. And Luke's like, all right, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and not to kind of, you know, I'm joking, but it's literally, that's what this was. I mean, Master the Universe are memories of Christmas, our memories of birthdays, our memories of playing for hours and hours and hours with these toys. And yep. whether the movie is the TV show or not is immaterial. The movie was what it was what Canon Films wanted to make. They made a movie that they thought was going to be literally the Star Wars of the 80s. Imagine right. this movie had hit. Mm -hmm. Imagine this had caught on. Maybe, I mean, it wouldn't be, I mean, if the exact same movie, if it became popular, because who knows ever what becomes popular or not popular, right? If that had happened, Mash Universe, maybe we'd have three re reboots, you know, re remakes and whatever by now. Who yeah. knows? You know? And that maybe, I mean, you know, maybe the toy line doesn't end in 1987, 88. Yeah. Maybe it goes on and there's, and there's new, and Powers of Grayskull is actually released and we get a whole series with dinosaurs and stuff in it. Yeah. You know, just, it's, it's the, the what if game yeah. is always fun for that reason. Yeah. And and the nice part about it, folks, is that when you watch, go back and watch this movie, um, I would go pick up the Blu-ray of this thing. It was super cheap. I think I got mine for like eight, nine bucks on Amazon. Yep. Um, it's well worth picking up. It's family. There's nothing in this. There's no nudity. There's no swearing. There's, it's very family friendly. Unlike other movies, which we've covered lately on this show, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I mean, obviously Luke was on for Pitch Storm, which was, you know, at Thanksgiving was a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, early in November, Dad and I covered Maniac. And there's no movie, there's no way in the world Haley's allowed mm. to watch Maniac with me. No. Um, no, you know, no, no. I mean, Return of the Living Dead, you know, with Dad and I covered back in October, obviously uh, Haley's seen that. And she thought it was silly and like dinosaurs she's seen. And she's even seen Friday the 13th and stuff like that. But 
like, you know, when we talk about movies in the show, I, I try to make sure we kind of mix things around. And I know we've hit a number of 80s movies, you know, kind of thing. And Dad and I are talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 on for, for our Christmas episode. Um, and then we have a surprise for New Year's. But, like, the idea is that this is a family-friendly movie. This movie is PG. This is not even PG-13. There's there's nothing in here. Um, I'm pretty sure it's PG. I'm pretty sure I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, this was – we saw this as kids, and this is a movie you can share with your kids. And, hey, maybe, you know, you're in the store, you know, and, and it's kind of a little late now. I mean, you only got a couple of days till Christmas. But, you know, maybe you picked up, like, oh, man, hey, He-Man and Skeletor. Maybe you bought a He-Man and Skeletor for your son or your daughter or whoever. I kind of think – you're like, man, let me grab this Blu-ray. And over Christmas break, you start, well, hey, 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 you know, for Christmas, like, hey, look, want to watch this movie? Here's He-Man and Skeletor. They look different. And you can talk to them about the idea that, like, yeah, when I was a kid, this is what they look like in the cartoon. And the cartoon's available. I mean, Haley watches it, for crying out loud. You can, you, the, you can go on YouTube right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. The channel is He-Man Official, and then there's a She-Ra Official. Yes. And you can watch pretty much any episode you want of either series. Yeah. And show them this. And what's the worst that happens? They get interested and they start playing and they use their imagination. Oh, no, yeah. please or, don't. And, may, and, maybe, and maybe they learn some moral about the proper application of power and helping others and not, uh, you know, I mean, again, you know, a and lot of people. Um, about Wrong show. That's wrong thing. You know, a lot, <laughs> a lot of people jump on that because of the, the whole thing that uh, that was to satisfy the federal mm-hmm. mandate. Yep. Yep. for children's programming. But, and I've always said this about Masters of the Universe, the Sunbow shows were better animated than the filmation shows. No question. Yep. No question whatsoever. And I don't remember what studio did like Thundercats and Silverhawks, but they were even better animated than the Sunbow shows. Yeah, well, those are just, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but, that, but the problem is the filmation shows were better written. Yeah. And if, I mean, again, I've, and I, and I, please don't misunderstand me. I freaking love the Sunbow GI Joe. I love the Sunbow GI Joe. I mean, I love the, the Marvel GI Joe too, but I mean, you and I grew up watching mm-hmm. Sunbow GI Joe mm-hmm. and, and the characters on that are, are well-defined and good characters. But when you watch the filmation masters of the universe, Lou Schemer and his team, I think they understood what they were doing because they tell stories and it's not just that we tack a moral on the end. There's a story that the inevitably in that moral at the end, they refer to what's happening in the story. And yeah. so the stories themselves have some type of moral about doing the right thing, which to me is that's he man, right? He's mm-hmm. the embodiment of good. He always does the right thing. Right. Right. Still yeah. to will always do the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. I don't like feeling good. I like feeling evil. <laughs> you know, but yeah. uh, so it, again, what's the worst thing that could happen? They, they might use their imagination and they might learn that, Hey, you know, maybe, just because I'm in competition with someone doesn't mean I can't help them. Right. Or, exactly. or maybe being brave doesn't mean taking risks. Maybe being brave means doing what what's right and not trying to act act tougher than I am. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. And you know, not, not taking anything away from you know don't su- don't suntan for too long or blind kids can help find kittens too like on GI Joe. But <laughs> yeah. Hashtag truth. Um, so, uh, you know, on the blind kids can help find, find kittens too. It's spirit is the Joe on that one. Isn't it? Is it spirit or is it lifeline? Oh, lifeline it was is spirit. lifeline is the one with the sunburn. I thought, yes. Okay. Yeah, you're right. But I think it's spirit. And it's like spirits. Like I found that kitten like two hours ago, but I wanted you guys to learn this lesson. So that's why we've been bushwhacking through the forest all this time. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was kind of a dick move. Wasn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> But you learned your lesson. <laughs> <laughs> like, you kind of feel better if it was shipwreck. 
You're like, look, I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost around here, kids. It's like, ah, I got to get off of dry land, matey. I'm not feeling this at all. Oh, good gravy. <laughs> and yeah, as, as if this show hasn't been all over the map anyway. Uh, hmm. So anyway, folks, um, I want to thank my brother for coming on. Luke, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Oh, well. Uh, always, always glad to be on Bots, Bugs, and Babes, especially to talk about uh, something as beloved to me as Masters of the Universe. If you would like to hear more of me, you can go to whatever site or podcatcher you use to listen to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, and you can listen to my show, which is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast. Daikaiju, of course, is Japanese giant monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, uh, Gamera, Yangari. Well, Yangari's Korean, but you get the idea. So any type <laughs> of giant uh, Daikaiju... We will talk about that on Earth Destruction Directive. Jay's been a guest uh, numerous times on that show, and I'm sure we'll be a guest again in the uh, if, if in the future for sure. So uh, if you're interested in that, and it sounds like fun, come on over and check it out. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, folks. So um, like I said, we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. We got um, you know, Dad and I. Uh, we're gonna fin finish out. We got the Christmas episode like we did. We're gonna actually talk tackle Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two. Um, which shockingly is a lot like the one we watched last year. I'm just well, saying. you know what's funny is I said that to Dad. I said I, I said I won't give it away. I said, but if you liked the first one, you'll probably like a good portion of this one. Yeah. Um. So if those of you who want to watch ahead, so you're not disappointed. Um. And then of course we're going to surprise everyone at the end of the year episode. Um. And then uh, in 2021, folks, we're getting close. Uh. I mean, this is episode what like like 91. I think this is like episode 91. Episode 100 is coming. A special, special edition of Bots, Bugs, and Bays for episode 100 um, will be coming. Dad and I are already uh, in talks about what we might be doing. We're trying to see what we can kind of hit you with something a little different. So if – hey, did you see Master Universe in the theater? Were you a kid like Luke and I with the right age to play with Master Universe? Did you watch it and then go in the theater and you loved it? Hey, were you disappointed? Were you a little too old and, like, had to take your younger brother or sister where you were a little young and you were kind of tagged along going, whoa, what is all this? And you never saw Masters beforehand. Let us know. Um, if, hey, if you're, what do you call it? If you've been searching for those WWE Eternia toys, which literally we've been hunting like crazy, right, Luke? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if, if that maybe inspired you to go back to that stuff, hey, let us know this. We'd love to hear it. It's okay. We can cross over to get back to the wrestling. Um, and yeah. we would love to hear from you. And again, anything you have from myself and my brother, I will share with Luke and we'll, we'll talk about it here on the show. Um, I just want to say is that, uh, obviously, uh, this has been a hard year on a lot of people and keep, please keep people in mind and stuff like that. I know Luke talks a lot about how his show is for everyone. Um, it's not, you know, we're not exclusive. We're inclusive bots, bugs, and babes. There's a reason why I don't use harsh language in this show. There's a reason why, I mean, I swear like a sailor, if you listen to literally the vault or any other show I'm on, I swear nonstop, but I don't do it here because I want people to be able to share the show with their children. Um, and I, cause I want, I mean, yes, the movie maniac is not appropriate for your child. Please do not show your child maniac. No. Okay. In fact, it's not appropriate for a lot of adults. It is, it, no, if, if you seriously, my wife will not sit through it. She yeah. watched about five. She, I can't watch this. Right. No, it is no. intense. It, it made, it's, it's, it literally made Savini not do effects for a while kind of thing. Right. I'm not saying that, but I try to bring, you know, dad and I try to, and, and even Luke on here and stuff like that. And then like we had John LeMay on and we have, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, Jonathan Inbody and other get friends of the show, we try to bring things to you. You know, we try to, you know, bring things from like the 40s and 60s and 50s and all over the place. And here's a movie from the 80s. That was a movie from my youth, from Luke's youth, from a number of you. If you are, if you are in your 
late 30s to you know mid to late 40s this is a show from your a show you watched in your youth a movie that was part of your youth and you know not every movie is going to be you know an academy award winner but it doesn't mean that it's it's garbage and i think what we showed when we first watched your hunter from the future uh was that this movie was pretty good it just it's you know kind of showed it's you know it kind of is silly and crazy at times and if you enjoyed that movie you'll enjoy this movie there's no doubt about that. This movie is way, the production values are way higher on this film than, uh, yes. you know, than that one. Um, but the one nice thing here is too, is if you haven't seen this in a while, you're like, oh man, you're not going to go back. It's not boring. Like Luke said, there's the one part where it kind of drags where they have to like, kind of like where they're fixing the key. But at that point, you've already had a ton of explosions. They already tore apart the town. You know, and at, and at that, at, you know, a little bit, you need a little characterization. Right. There, yeah. you know? So, I mean, literally they've destroyed everything. So, um, but uh, I, I just, I hope you take the time to go back and, and look at this movie. If you haven't watched it in a while, and if you can, if you have someone to share it with um, who would appreciate it. And again, maybe it's your, your loved ones. Maybe it's uh, you know, your niece and nephew, maybe, maybe everyone's, everyone's coming over to your house for some holiday thing. And I don't mean to be antisocial and not be part of your family, but I'm saying maybe you're sharing this as a, you know, with them. And, and maybe it's something you sit around, you watch, and it becomes like a family, I'm going to say a family tradition, but something like, oh, hey, you know, we usually watch like whatever, let's try this. And they're like, oh, this is so cool. And maybe it leads to some conversation and maybe it leads to eventually pulling out those old Master Universe toys, which are in your attic and you start playing with them again. And then you have to figure out how to, you know, like where, 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 why is everyone naked? It's like every Barbie thing ever. All the Master Universe yes. guys always manage to get down just their loincloths. Um, but you know what, guys? There's worse things to do than this be, you know, use your imagination and, you know, and remember yep. the good times. So um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I hate to get like, you know, I know Luke sometimes says at the end of the year, I get a little sappy and sentimental, but I'm being honest. Eh, you know, it's the end of the year. Yeah. It's, it's okay. You know, yeah. I, I do it at the, on my Christmas episode too. Yeah. I always, I always get a little bit sentimental. You're looking backwards, you know, but yeah. we must always look forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling. That's the way that I like to <laughs> to remember that. Uh, so, like I said, folks, uh, Dad and I will be back with you on the Christmas episode. We're back for the New Year's, um, and then we got a whole lot of stuff coming in 2021. So, Luke, thank you very much for joining me today uh, to talk about Masters of the Universe. And as we say here, folks, keep those cards and letters coming, and... Keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at 2TrueFreaks.com. 
Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacanetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow.